Hey everybody, it's the Bucket Cast, hosted by yours truly, BucketReviews.com, film critic and podcaster, yes, podcaster Danny Baldwin, joined by your co-host, Michael. I'm tight in my belt so I don't die of hunger pains! Lester. <laughs> that is, of course, a line from Troll 2, which is... Uh, the quintessential line, I think, of Troll 2. Yes, documented in the documentary, which is out, called Best Worst Movie, and we'll get to that on the show. And, uh, Michael, we got some reviews of some other movies. You got those. Uh, yeah, we, we talked about the release this weekend, Losers, and I think it's kind of the main line for this weekend. Yeah, although it did terribly at the box office. The yeah. J-Lo film, which we didn't what? even get near, just <laughs> bombed too, and oh. then the Losers bombed. I thought you were going to say that it did better than the Losers. Well, it, it did. Oh! oh! <laughs> because the fact is that like women will watch terrible movies that are romantic <laughs> comedies in the first place, but I think guys will at least read Rotten Tomatoes. And, you know, not subject Avoid themselves them. to terrible yeah. action film. Not to say that Losers is a terrible action film, but we'll talk about that later. Losers. But so, get... after Losers, we're going to talk about Best Worst Movie, the, you know, the documentary we just talked about. And it's the companion to that is Troll 2, which it's about. Which we also watch. Yes. Because how could you not bathe in the awfulness and greatness of <laughs> Troll 2? And we're going to uh, end the show with uh, Harry Brown. Which a... is not out this weekend, but it's coming out in New York and L.A. next weekend. And then it's expanding around the country, but we really want to make sure that you know about it it came out last year in in britain though last right yes yeah we watched a copy actually you can get a region 2 dvd right from britain on amazon.co.uk as we did and watch the film yourself like that at home but but good movie to watch in the theater very uh but you you have something to uh tell us about ultra star don't you got an ultra star movies update because we haven't talked about ultra star theaters lately I've been doing some investigative work over the past, what, I don't, we haven't talked about it for like six shows, Michael, right? Uh, something like that. Well, I've been going to many Ultrastar locations, and I am pleased, Incognito. pleased to report the bands on La Costa 6, who we actually talked to the projectionist, a uh, former projectionist for, and, uh-huh. and it was not too reassuring, I gotta say, so I'm very surprised by this. I think Ultrastar may, may have been listening to this, I mean, we seem to have tweeted them a lot, mentioned the show a lot. I've written them God knows how many letters. So yeah. I think maybe we got to that. Uh, the bands on La Costa and Flower Hill, with some caveats there, we'll get to that later, have been lifted. I'm lifting the bands. Wow. So you guys can go back to La Costa and Flower Hill with caveats, which will be discussed later. Michael's giggling because this is just a little bit too obsessive. You know what's interesting? What? In Greenberg, where he writes complaint letters, like yeah. frivolous complaint letters, it really reminded me of myself doing this whole <laughs> star tirade. In fact, I think when I was talking about how I related to Greenberg and you kind of cringed a little bit, I think I was mainly talking about those letters. But the tirade is worse than ever before on the Del Mar Highlands 8 location. Now, I realize these are only three of the locations. Ultra Star has, I don't know, 15 locations, something around there. Uh, I really can't speak to the other ones. I've had pretty good luck at the Mission Valley Hazard Center location, but I don't want to cast dispersions on the other ones. But we got to talk about the Del Mar Highlands 8. I finally figured out the big disconnect there, Michael. I mean, we're kind of wondering, like, this whole format issue and things like that. Yeah. As I explained on the previous show, the location has fixed aspect ratio screens. Now, what does that mean? It means that instead of having two different sizes of screens to display both regular and widescreen films, uh, which is accomplished by masking that either stays up or comes down, 
basically to create a new size of screen for different sizes of films. Uh, there's only one size of screen. Now, this was a popular architectural decision for movie theaters back in the 1970s and 1980s because it allowed more auditoriums to go in a smaller space. I mm -hmm. mean, that's the essence of the 80s multiplex. Now, thank God we worked at an 80s multiplex where that was not the case because I would have had to quit, you know? I mean, just something that would have had to happen. I believe that. But at the Del Mar 8, the ratio of the screen is about 2.05 to 1. So back when they showed film prints, part of the movie was cropped. And for a movie shot in 1.85 to 1, a small part of the top and bottom were cropped off. And for a scope movie, 235 to 1, a large amount of the screen was cropped off on the sides. However, though, when Highlands added digital projection, I don't know, five years ago, it allowed for essentially a letterboxed effect like you'd see on your TV with black bars on the top and bottom for scope shows and on the side for flat shows. And this was really how the location was ran for many years. I saw a lot of movies there. It was actually kind of my choice Friday location sometimes because it's not really that crowded like these big megaplexes. However, recently, and this is what gets at where the, all the confusion was, they've essentially decided to crop all films, no matter what the aspect ratio, to fit the screen, just like back in the film days. It's a, con a conscious choice. They have the opportunity to show all of the movie using the letterbox feature that they've done for years, essentially, but they don't. So good news and bad news on this, essentially. The good news is that they're not so utterly incompetent as I had pegged uh, in that in the projection room, they were running films in the wrong format. That was an incorrect assumption on my behalf. It was just a change in what they were doing. So I assumed wrong. Back when I saw the box there, I, I thought they were mistakenly showing the movie, which was shot in scope and flat and screwing up a lot, uh, essentially zooming in on the image. Mm -hmm. But in actuality, they were just cropping it to fit the screen, which is in effect about the same thing. Yeah. Uh, the bad news is that this means that if you go to Highlands, you're not going to see all of any movie that you're seeing, which is pretty bad I, in this day and age of technical accomplishment and good projection, digital projection. Uh, it'll be worse with scope films than it is with flat ones because, again, it's a 2.05 to 1 screen, which is closer to flat than it is scope. But it also, you know, it pisses me off that the manager, whose name is Dan Terry, I'm going to really drop names here, uh, who I argued with on the whole format. I told him it was in the wrong format, assuming it was flat when it was supposed to be scope, didn't tell me just this. He's aware of it, clearly aware that they're cropping the movies, and he uh -huh. couldn't just come clean. He didn't just come clean. He didn't even say, you know, we have fixed aspect ratio screens, and that's how the movies fit. I almost would have respected that. Maybe I would have even watched the movie before re-watching it on Blu-ray to see everything, because I was already there. Back when it was filmed, they couldn't do anything about it. It was just like this. So what do I want to happen? Well... I want them to go back to the way they were doing it, uh, with part of the screen having black bars to show all of the movie. Flower Hill still does this now. They're in really the same boat. Th their aspect ratio is a little different. It's closer to 2, maybe 195. But the sad thing about all this is, Michael, I think they're doing this because people are were complaining about the black bars, probably, just like they do with their TV. I mean, people still see DVD on their TV and they complain that there's black bars at the top and bottom. Well, I don't, like they don't what's get the it. problem with the black bars? 
Well, it makes the image smaller. But still, you know, HBO letterboxes, you'd never see all of the film on HBO. Mm-hmm. It's constantly cropping. Uh, I, I really think it's just maybe a matter of like simple education because I don't think people in their nature would want to miss part of a movie. Yeah. Do you? I, I mean, if you told somebody, I'm going to cut Avatar, I'm going to cut the pointless scenes of Flora and Fauna... And I'm going to cut it down to a two-hour movie. They'd be able to tell you exactly the same plot if you just cut yeah. parts of useless information. Even if you're cutting down a third of the movie. Uh, but you people understand that that way they miss some of the director's vision. It's really the same thing, I think, because when you go see a scope movie at Highlands, you're missing out on 13% of a director's vision. It's, it's the same deal, just a little different. So, after this long-winded rant here... What do I expect you to do? I expect you to continue in this boycott with me, people. Stay strong. <laughs> <laughs> we can make Highland switch back is what I think. So send your emails. Send emails about this, people. I expect you as BucketCast devotees to guestcom. That's the word guest, C-O-M, at ultrastarmovies.com. Or tweet at ultrastarmovies. Tell them you heard this podcast. And together, we will stick up for movies the way they're supposed to be exhibited. Thank you. Okay, now for a change of no, pace. Well, well, one last thing, though. Aww. One last thing. While the Flower Hill ban is lifted, they have fixed aspect ratio screens as well. So if the movie's scope and it's running on film, which you can see by it won't have, like on their Showtime's web- website, it won't say in pure digital cinema next to it. So if it doesn't have that, that means it's in film. And if it's scope, 235 to 1, which you can look up on IMDb. Because God knows I expect everyone to be an active participant in this. <laughs> if it says 235 to 1, you can't see it there. It's part of the boycott. I'm physically barring you from it. I will come and hunt you down. So if it's showing on film in Flower Hill and it's 235 to 1, don't see it there. I will allow you, however, to see 185, one flat movies there in film even. Because, you know, the screens are like 1.95 to 1, so the croppage is going to be very minimal. In fact, it might even cut off some of the microphones and boom mics that are at the top that no, no one wanted there to be there anyway. So, uh, that's the end of my rant. Lacoste is fine. I've been there about five times, actually, and I have had no problem. Other than the fact, Michael, you complained about, like, employees banging... Uh, Banging like uh, just making noise when they go out the the exits and stuff like that. The one problem I have noticed at La Costa, if you're listening, Ultra Star, is that they're way overstaffed. There's yeah. people just standing there, and they just come in and watch the movies, <laughs> and it's like they're opening and closing the door constantly because they don't have nothing better to do. It's yeah. kind of like what our uh, interviewee said is that he had nothing to do as a projectionist, so he just kind of sat around and watched the movies. Uh, but these these people are just meandering around, and it's really kind of annoying. But now, <laughs> well, okay, solution, Ultra Star. When you you know you give these people this job, you got to leave them like two hours so they can watch the whole movie, so they're not walking in and out of yeah. the theater. I mean, like, let's be reasonable here. <laughs> yeah. Well, that would be a good start. So, hope you're listening. I'm glad to have activated these two locations again. But we're swearing off Highlands, and that is the end. Michael, on to more pressing things. You have a review of The Losers. Yeah, so The Losers, which apparently is losing at the box office right now, and in ratings. 
There you go. Another ad, yeah, ad good, for you. Good, good pun. Well, yeah, but that's not nad. That's not, you know, pumping it up. I mean, well, uh, be... Yeah, but it's not a positive ad, but it's an ad nonetheless. Yeah. If, if you, you don't had, like the losers. If you had an attack ad. The backup plan. This is what the backup plan should run. Yes, yes. But <laughs> but see, the backup plan is winning already. But I guess that doesn't stop politicians. By the way, here in California, have you seen those the Steve Poister, Meg Whitman ads? I know you don't Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> I, I love that. I love that May, Meg Whitman ad that goes... You know who who's wrong on illegal immigration? Steve Poisner. Who's and it just like it's a constant chant, and it it just makes me want to not vote for Meg Whitman because the they just it's the worst. The most I don't want to vote for either of them. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, I think we we should do. I I just got my like sample ballot, uh-huh. and I think maybe we should do a special edition of the bucket cast on the different propositions as to uh, voters <laughs> oh, when they come up, but. <laughs> How do we get onto this tangent? The losers, people. The losers is fairly standard action uh, fair. It's the standard revenge story. It's about a group of U.S. special forces that are betrayed by the CIA, and they find themselves, you know, supposedly betrayed, but they're supposed to be dead, and they're not. So they decide they're going to get back at their handler, Max, as he's called, by destroying everything he's working for, and they, they meet up with uh, Aisha, who happens to be played by Zoe Saldana. Of Avatar. Of Avatar. Of New on Blu-ray, and by the way. Death at a Funeral, and numer- Star Trek, numerous other things. I gotta say, not not to go on a tangent again, but I got that Avatar Blu-ray in the mail, and, and it looks like the golden, downright amazing reference disc for all Blu-rays to come. Now, as I said, revenge story, you know, U.S. Special Forces betrayed, trying to get back at the CIA. I liked it. I mean, having read the comic, I feel it stays pretty true to the story. It yeah, adds based a, on it, the comic book. It uh, it adds enough to, I think, make it stand away from the comic book. But first thing I noticed about the movie is the, the cast. Yeah. The cast fit the characters perfectly. Losers are played by Jeffrey Dean Morgan, Idris Elba, Columbus Short, uh, Chris Evans, and some Hispanic dude who nobody knows the name of, and he's not a star, but... That is neither here nor there. Oscar Janata. I, I probably butchered that, but I try. Yes. Anyways, Danny, you know, what do you think? I know you're not a huge fan of the, the comic book films and, and stuff like that. Well, here's what I... Part of it suffers by comparison in that I think a far better comic book movie, Kick-Ass, is out there. Now, it's admittedly something different. That's an R-rated picture. This is PG-13. I thought... It goes by fast. It's breezy. I don't know if I'd call it fun because it's very, very similar to other movies. I mean, <laughs> your description of the plot right there, although, like, yeah. you know, it's kind of like a revenge thing. It, it, it fits a lot of molds. It's the revenge thing. You know, there's probably going to be a double cross, all these things. And indeed, the cast is likable, but you could have guessed that from looking at the rap sheet of the cast. I mean, mm-hmm. this is... A fun people to be with. Now, mind you, uh, this is a very attractive group. One who I would have never imagined to be like a black ops group. Yeah. Uh, but that's movie magic for you folks. It's colorful. Again, this is kind of that one where I'll like spit out adjectives just kind <laughs> of half-heartedly and say, uh, it's breezy, it's cool, it's... I think what the thing, the film does, what what it did for me is I felt 
although we were seeing it as a film, it still kept a lot of the comic aspect to it. Just like some of the stylistic choices, as far as like color. Pop, yeah. yeah, there's a very colorful, it popped out. And it has those shots where it kind of goes to drawn out or drawn yeah. for the credits and things. Um, it, and then when you see the, the titles pop up, it does similar things. Yes, it shows uh, us a very comic-like thing and, and it has all of the... You know, actually, I thought the movie was going to be a lot worse than it was. I actually was close to walking out after the first... 20 minutes or so because it's really incoherent at the beginning mm-hmm. and i thought it was so much like a comic book it's one of those cases in which they almost go literally literally to the page yeah. where it's almost as if nothing's at stake it's just all this high-flying fun and pictures and dazzle uh-huh. and that to me is what its downfall was now thankfully uh director sylvain white who's done a lot of crap in the past uh kind of grounds it later and mm-hmm. it becomes a much more cohesive story thread. But the real question is how much can you care about this? Because you definitely know the way it's going to end mm-hmm. and it's fun, but you've seen it all before. So what's left is the cast and yeah, they're proficient, but this is not like, you know, it's not Marlon Brando acting here. Yeah. I mean, I, I see where you're coming from, but like, I had a lot of fun sitting through this movie. Really? Yeah, I, I felt pretty good, and I really liked it. I, I think I'll track that up to the fact that you're more titillated by explosions and things than oh, I am. Oh, thanks. I, no, I mean, it's just, <laughs> you know, you like action movies. I don't really like action movies, for instance. You just like But it. the way you phrased it, Danny, doesn't do me any favors. <laughs> well, I, I I will admit, I have my own bogus, you know, preferences. I'm titillated, I'm, McGuire, yeah. I'm titillated by anything with subtitles, for instance. I mean, it's just, you know. I, I'd also track it up to the fact that I did read the comic and... I'm, yeah, but wouldn't that mean you're more? Sh- there's more scrutiny. I mean, yeah, I did have scrutiny, and I I'm glad that they changed several things from the comic and added to it. But, All right, but I I still have like I really like the comic, and to see what I consider a good adaptation of the comic. Yeah, well, if if you're looking for Friday night popcorn fun, I really can't object. I mean, oh, I, yeah. I didn't really like it, like it, but I, I think there's a lot worse ways you could but, spend your time. Probably like the J Lo movie, but. Like Danny said, he's not a big fan of action movies, so the fact that he, you know, is saying this much is is pretty good. Yeah, sure. I give it two and a half buckets out of four. I gave it three and a half out of four. Three and a half? I really liked it. I'm sad that I missed, like, the first couple minutes. You missed the first couple minutes? I think the trailers are a little bit short. Oh. (laughs) So I'll I'll sneak in there next next movie I go to. All right. I'm probably going to go see The Ghost Rider if it's still in theaters. Maybe maybe that's why uh, your rating was higher, because... (laughs) I like didn't like the first bit, and you you missed some of that. No, I I walked in like right as they saw the kids. Okay, so I okay. didn't miss that much, but I, I all the Bolivian children. Yes. Alrighty, so losers. Uh, the big release this weekend is not a bust. It's not a loser, nor in my opinion a winner. Michael would say it is. <laughs> There's a pun for you. I came up with it. No, no. There, there you go. There you go. You got to say it. The Losers is a winner. The Losers is a winner. There you go for your trailer if you have any advertising budget left after that box office. But next up, so much smaller movie is Best Worst Movie. It's a documentary about the movie Troll 2 by Michael Stevenson, who played the little boy in Troll 2. Now, Troll 2 is essentially a movie without any trolls. Uh, it's a sequel. Goblins. It's a sequel to a movie about trolls. But it has nothing to do with the first movie. 
And it's essentially about a family who goes on vacation to a town named Nilbog, which is goblin spelled backwards. And um, there's crazy people in the town and uh, goblins too. And terror awaits, essentially. It's one of the worst movies of all time. And I, you know, it, it's funny. It kind of uh, overstays its welcome, I think, because it works in a kind of so bad it's good kind of way. Uh, did you find that you were entertained throughout? I mean, Invest I was laughing. I thought it was hilarious. I mean, I thought it was hysterical for about, you know, 30, 45 minutes, but going the entire hour and 35 minutes was a bit of an endurance test for me. The the Towards the end there, I was like, really, are we going here now? But in Best Worst Movie, which chronicles Michael Stevenson's, um, well, look at the film and what it's become over the years, we see all these massive audiences in the past few years who, after, you know, discovering it in various ways on VHS and DVD mm -hmm. from childhood to their late 20s, how they've become big fans and all these midnight screenings are going on and it's a true cult classic. So we meet the father in the film who is essentially the worst actor alive. Yeah, but he's a dentist. He's a dentist in practice, and uh, did this like we get a kind of portrait of him as he's riding the coattails of all this cult success, and it goes from there. And I'll tell you the reason why I like this movie, Michael, is that it evokes the sense of community about the movies, especially about cult movies that we rarely see nowadays in this very homogenized culture of megaplexes and mm -hmm. things. And this was kind of the feeling that movies had just normally back in the set. I mean, just that sense of energy and that sense of people watching something together in a room and discovering something. Yeah. Now, this is, of course, far more niche, far more cult. It's a midnight movie. Uh, the other interesting thing I find about the movie is that aside from the writer and director, who are Italian and just totally out there, nobody in the movie still defends it, really. No, yeah. They all think it's a piece of crap, and they all almost knew it. Because they're, they're like, the, what's happening when they were making if this? If not when they were making it, when they saw it for the yeah. first time. Stevenson recounts the first encounter he had with the movie after making it was getting a VHS tape of it under his Christmas tree the next year, <laughs> seeing it, and never wanting to see it again. Yeah, that's, that's funny that the, the director... Just so like disgusted when people ask him questions, like why are there no trolls in in a mo in well, this movie? It's fascinating too because we see him outside the New York Theater in Los Angeles at a midnight screening, and he comes all the way from Italy, and he's bonding with all the people outside who have come to see it. It's a sold out house. He's happier than can be, and then you get to the part where they're laughing at the movie and he doesn't and, get it yeah. and he he says something really poetic which is they laugh in the funny parts and then they laugh when they're not supposed to laugh <laughs> and he really takes it to heart and it's interesting to watch his progression or even lack thereof throughout the movie and it's even more fascinating to learn he's gone and in italy made like 20 movies since yeah, he, it's really bizarre how he treats this as like almost like his magnum opus. It's like yeah, well, we talk about stranger than fiction in these documentaries a yeah. lot, and he is truly stranger than fiction. So I don't know if the movie really becomes something of heft, but it has a lot of kind of nuggets that I like, and has a lot of nostalgia 
to the days in which movies really meant something, which mm-hmm. is difficult to find nowadays. I mean, one of the things that I found interesting with the movie is when they go to a, a horror convention to pitch Troll 2 uh-huh. and just do signings and all that stuff. And to find out that Troll 2, despite, you know, best worst movie and all this stuff, and so we're seeing all these sold-out screenings, yeah. it's still a niche movie. It's still very cult because oh, none of these people know what it is. I didn't know what it was until best worst movie. I, my, my exposure to Troll 2 was um, seeing cuts on YouTube yeah. of... Um, I think the the guy who played Arnold delivering his lines so yeah. woodenly, and I'd seen those, uh-huh. and I so I was familiar with it, but I'd never seen it. Well, it's a movie that's been out there for almost twenty year, twenty years now. And, it's nineteen ninety, yeah. And um, I feel like The Room is more popular as a cult movie among people of our age and more known. But mm. that's not to say that this does not have a huge, huge audience. I mean, sold out screening after sold out screening, as we see in the movie, and it's. Uh, Pretty fascinating. It played at South by Southwest with Troll 2 afterwards. And I would have loved to have been in one of those double features they seem to be doing. I, I really wish I could. I really want to see this with like the crowd. Because I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I think this is yeah. going to be one of those movies that the more times I see it, the more I'm going to get a kick out of it. Especially now that I know it's coming. Well, again, that's more of your... T- you like that. I uh, am. Yeah. Watching it repeat viewing. So I- this is like my podcast right now. Well, I would like to kind of see it again. I could do without it for the rest Maybe of my life. Maybe it'll have the, sure. like the Tyler Perry effect, where if you see it with its native audience, you will... Yeah, the only amplify. the only flaw in that argument, though, is that I would never elect to see a Tyler Perry movie a second time with the audience. Ah, once I've done, uh, but th- those are nowhere near as bad as this one. But it, it's it's entertaining enough. And yeah. actually, you you I don't think have gotten to it yet. But Troll One, no, I'm not, is a two thirds of a good movie. <laughs> it's actually good, but then it kind of descends into this action finale that's crazy and stupid and ridiculous and it's kind of like troll 2 actually but troll 1 has perhaps the most sympathetic interesting portrait of a dwarf you've ever seen haha <laughs> there's a tease so uh, <laughs> but not a troll yeah just a dwarf no he's just a dwarf and, okay. and he's actually an english professor who's got a lot of health problems ah. uh, <laughs> but but um, see how insensitive i am yeah um <clears throat> But I think um, best worst movie. I think it's still kind of enjoyable, even if you haven't seen Troll One or Troll Two. Yeah, um, you can get into it. Troll Two, I recommend if you really like bad films like Sci-Fi Channel Everything, originals or something. Yeah, like that. Everybody's got to see it once, though. Yeah, I think it. this is a movie. You know, a movie to just sit down with your friends and watch. I definitely think it's a community experience yeah for sure even if you're not seeing with a niche crowd you want to see it with friends anyway we'll forgo ratings on troll 2 but best worst movie i give three buckets out of four um yeah i gave three out of four as well good solid doc so you next we have harry brown why don't you tell us about that denny harry brown's a british import starring michael Caine, essentially as a man who loses his wife at the beginning of the movie he's an older retired guy and his neighborhood has gone to hell in a handbasket. There's youths doing drugs and killing people and lots of violence and drug use. It's just the set of a gritty British crime drama. Uh, and anyway, a little bit later in the film, he loses his best friend of years and years who has taken up arms against these youths because uh, they keep threatening him and the police won't do anything about it. 
So this all escalates and he gets killed in a bloody confrontation. Now Harry is devastated by this and he himself decides to take up arms to avenge his friend despite two detectives, one of which is played by Emily Mortimer, hot on his trail. I think it's a terrific little movie. Great, great acting by Kane. I mean, <laughs> just, uh, he may be the best actor of his generation. I mean, he just delivers, whether it's in The Dark Knight, uh, in the small, tiny role, or in The Quiet American several years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a great lead performance. And now here, which, you know, well into his 70s, he's just remarkable. And that's really the reason to see this movie. Of course, there's a lot of action and grit, and sometimes you'll have to really almost turn away from the screen. It's so violent. And uh, um, I, The thing that struck me about this film, I don't know if I've like emotionally connected with a film in like a while. I felt that with Harry Brown. I felt like involved. Which is interesting given you couldn't be farther removed from the setting. That's when mm-hmm. you know it's really good is when you have nothing. You don't want to be there, but you 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 feel connected to Harry Brown and you feel connected to the people in yeah. the film. What is it about Europe with violent youths? I mean, I feel like we don't have that. I, I mean, I know we have gang clubs. <laughs> like gang members? <laughs> no, but, you know, they don't refer to them as, I don't know, they don't refer to them as young people in this country, mm. don't you think? It's like it's like youths is the word they use in France and Britain. And uh, it's, maybe it's like a cultural thing, like in America, you know, once you've like committed these acts that these people have, <laughs> you, you've lost your youth, so to speak. But it's, it's interesting because we never view gang violence here as like a as like a teenage epidemic or Youth something. problem, yeah. Do. But, uh, and also very good in the movie is Emily Mortimer as the detective mm-hmm. in a really quiet sort of way. It really kind of creeps up on you. But the focus remains Harry, and, you know, we know it's not going in a good direction, to say the least, as we get in this underbelly. But the crime that unravels, and it's just layered in interest, and the finale which gets far-fetched, I would say, mm. holds you entirely because of the realistic foundation upon yeah. which it's built. I, I never doubted the realism of this, even though the idea... I mean, that's kind of the funny thing, is it's essentially like if you put Gran Torino on steroids. <laughs> yeah. But it doesn't feel like that at all. It mm-hmm. seems totally authentic. It's, it's a movie apart. I mean, there's justification... Uh, in that Kane has a, a background in the Marines and things, and we can kind of sort of believe him as uh, this violent, avenging old man. But, uh, you know, if you were to really step back and think about it, how realistic is it? But when you're in that moment, the intensity and the emotional prowess this movie has is second to none. There, you know, there's a lot of powerful scenes in that film, like I said. And I think, you know, the, one of the most powerful scenes is when he opens... It's when... You want to say the gang opens the the Pandora's box when he like basically opens up his past that he's kept buried for so many years. Yeah. And that's like the final push to the climax of the film. Hmm. And me, I'm giving this four out of four. I was, I loved it. You have like a full on list going already. I mean, you got Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, How to Train Your Dragon, and now Harry Brown is four star films this year. Uh, I wasn't quite as wild because I think that outside 
of the central portrayal, there's something to be uh, desired. I give, uh-huh. it a, I give it a strong three buckets out of four. Okay. And I, I certainly liked it. I mean, when it comes out, comes out in New York and L.A. next week and expands around the country after that, it's certainly one to seek out, and it's far better than anything you could see at the multiplex. Yeah, definitely. So as far as next week, I'm going to let Danny explain what we have coming because I am still unsure of exactly what we're doing. Well, it's a horror movie palooza, folks. First and foremost, we got the new Nightmare on Elm Street remake starring Jackie Earl Haley, of course, who's Freddy Krueger. I'm really excited for it, Michael. I really hope uh, it's got some of the same producers. I hope it doesn't go down the same drain, essentially, as the Friday the 13th. Are you referring to Michael Bay? Uh, (laughs) So I hope it's much better than that. For Jackie Earl Haley's sake, I am certainly excited to see his Freddy Krueger. Mm-hmm. Then you got the movie that you're probably awaiting, bar yeah. none. Which we got is, Survival of the Dead on Video On Demand. Yep, which comes out on Video On Demand next Friday. Uh, George A. Romero, of course, the next film in the Dead series. And that's going to come out later in May in theaters if you don't have cable video on demand. Also, you get it on Xbox, I think. Xbox okay. and... Uh, I'll, to, I'll check cool for stuff. the next show. Uh, Amazon. Amazon, too. Mm-hmm. Amazon, Xbox, and but we'll discuss that next time. Followed by The Descent 2, which is an interesting thing. Because you would think Descent 2 uh, it sounds like a straight-to-video sequel. Yeah. It's got all the original players, and it came out in theaters in Britain. Sounds good. And then we got the movie that I'm kind of scared to watch. I don't, I don't know if I've been so scared to watch a movie in a while. And I don't know that we should be doing this, but it's one of those things that you got to comment on. It's called The Human Centipede. Okay, I, well, I, I didn't want to watch the trailer, okay? I just, it didn't seem that interesting. And to be honest, am I wrong for thinking creature feature? <laughs> well, it has a quite, but I think that's more like the YouTube commenting community's angle. That did you look at those comments or something? No, no, you weren't. I went to Apple Trailers and I was looking at the movie poster they had up for it. And that looked like you know creature feature. Yeah, to me. Uh, maybe, maybe. And, but then we'll I watched the trailer happens. and I really didn't care to see it. And then you said, then "Let's said watch it for." Well, we got to. I mean, you got to sacrifice <laughs> it. I mean, we could be doing a lot worse things. For instance. Yeah. On a lot of the podcasts, they've been eating the KFC Double Down. And, you know, I mean, I think this is far less harmful to one's health than that. Yeah. But maybe not. So we will watch it together and cry it out together. (laughs) And uh, whatever else needs to happen uh, stays in that room. The Danny's room, viewing room. Yes. That sounds disturbing in and of itself. Well, I I didn't mean to imply anything like that. But uh, Human Centipede next week if we don't have to turn it off but that's about it for this bucket cast don't you think yeah i think so all righty sounds good so stay tuned for next week and until then this is oh send your send those comments to ultrastar ultrastar uh guest or uh, guest com at ultrastarcinemas.com so until next time this has been danny baldwin and michael lester on the bucket cast see ya we're on the front line i get handed down the news we're on the front line